the video and some slides and pictures and things like that of um, some of the great things that the Lord was doing down um, in Ecuador um, the past few days that we were uh, we were down there. Uh, I don't have much time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse two. Read one verse and then um, talk a little bit about how to how to live a good story. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12 verse two. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, it's God's word. Some of these thoughts, um, may you, you may have heard me speak uh, these before, but it says here, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, I looked at this in its original um, in its original language as well. Um, it, it, other people say the pioneer, the beginner, all of these different things about our faith. But here it says specifically the author of our faith. Why does it say he's the author of our faith? Um, some people would suggest that it's because in each of our lives, in each of our faith journeys, uh, Jesus is writing a story. He's writing a story out of each of our lives, right? He's the author of our faith. He's the perfecter, the finisher of the story as well. Now, you, you've heard me talk about this. I, I just fell in love with this quote after one of our sisters um, explained it to me. Donald Miller talks about how um, a story, um, a, any definition, you could define story in a lot of different ways, but here's one definition of a story. It's a hero trying to reach a goal. A hero is trying to reach a goal, and along the way, there are a lot of obstacles, or else the story's not a story. There's got to be rising action, descending action, and climax, right? Uh, if there's no obstacles in the story, it's not really a story. Okay, person's trying to, uh, a man's on a road to uh, Tampa. He gets there. That's no story. A right, man's on a road to Tampa. He gets mugged. His car breaks down. That's a story. How's he going to get to Tampa? That's where the story comes in. Okay, so a story is basically a hero trying to reach a goal, and there are obstacles along the way. And the best stories are the ones in which the obstacles seem insurmountable. Where there are moments in the story where you feel like the obstacles are so great that they're not going to be able to finish the story. They're not going to be able to reach the goal. That's the story. Um, that's, a, that's a good story. And we all love to hear good stories. I want to tell you a story about, a story about our, our time in, in Ecuador. And I, as I got James's testimony last night, I read it and I was like, holy cow, this is basically my sermon. He said, you want me to change my testimony? I said, no, that's, it's too late for that. So here's a, here's the story. It began in 2009. We had a missionary that our now Hiroshima used to be called the Ecuador House Church used to support. Her name was Yunju. She was a college friend of mine. And uh, she said, hey, there's this people group, unreached people group, meaning they don't have enough believers to sustain a church across this river. Would you guys like to go? I said, sure, let's go. Let's try it out. So we went there, and we, we crossed the river to this people called the Kofan. It's an Indian group. There used to be 21,000 people, but they've been attacked, 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 kidnapped. So they're down to about uh, 3,000 people. And I think about 800 or so are the ones that live across uh, the river, something like that. So a few hundred people live there. And I remember specifically one little boy. Um, I, he was probably about three years old. And I said to him in Spanish, I said, do you know Jesus Christ? And he said, No. I said, you don't know Jesus Christ? You never heard of Jesus Christ? He said, no. And immediately in my heart, I began to get this sense that these people really don't know. Like no one has been to this place to tell them the gospel, to tell them about Jesus Christ. And as we were leaving this one day of ministry, we said, well, we'll see you guys tomorrow. And we crossed back the river. The next day we went to cross over the river again, but the water level had risen too high. They said, it's too dangerous to go across the river. And... 
I remember saying to myself before we went on this trip, I said, this will be the, the one year that we'll go just to kind of as a diversion from, from Dominican Republic and we'll come back. But as we kind of made this promise to these kids that we'll come back tomorrow and we came back and we couldn't go back as we're uh, just this huge roaring river stood between us and them on top of the hill. All of us who were there. There's about, I think, uh, 2009, nine of us went that year. We saw a bunch of these kids on top of the hill and they were all waving at us. And as that was the last image of our time there. As I went home, as I went, we went back to our place where we were staying and I was processing this. Um, Acts 16 verse 9 came to me where Paul was trying to get into Asia, but he said the Holy Spirit kept us from going into Asia for some reason. And he said as he was uh, sleeping that night, he had a vision of a man from Macedonia. And the man from Macedonia said, come to where we are because we need your help. So the next day Paul got up and they went to Macedonia. That's called the, the Macedonian call. In my mind, I felt like that was our call to Sinangwe, that we need to go back one more year. And so we went back home. We were kind of debriefing. There wasn't really many great stories. The only stories about a couple of us throwing up on the way down to that, that, that river. Um, that was the only great story. We said, we've, we've got to go back. There's got to be a better story for us. Went back in 2010, and there's 10 of us who went. Okay, 10 of us who went this year, and like James was saying, the day we got down into Lumbaki, um, the kind of leader of that church said, can you guys lead a worship service? This is what happened. He said, well, there was a, a young man, um, he was a policeman, he got shot and he got killed two, two weeks ago, and our community is, is just reeling. And so uh, we talked with our team, and, and, and James said, you know what, I'll, I'll share, because um, just a, a little bit before that, his, his brother had, had experienced, had, had passed away as well. And so he went up there and he testified about the hope that he has in Christ. And uh, as we gave an invitation Pretty much the entire church came, about 20 people, including the guy they called the pastor and his wife, came up to give their lives to Christ. So he said, well, there's a lot of work to be done here. We came back the, the, the next year, and the next year was 2000, um, 2011. There was a team of eight of us went. And for the first time, we got into Quito. One of the missionaries was telling us, they said, you know what? Um, you're one week down in these jungle areas because no one ever goes out there. They've never seen Asian people before. They said, one, you're one week down there gives them enough encouragement and strength for them to continue for 51 weeks out of the year. And so we went down with the special sense of, of mission that if, if nothing, let's just go and let's just bless the people. Let's just encourage the church there. Let's just work with them. Let's, let, let's you know, give them strength so that they can continue doing the work there. Went down there for the first time, these people began inviting us into their homes to eat. We ate fish, we ate chicken, we ate a bunch of different things. And one of the locals there was saying, you know what, this is not like other Latin American countries where it's a hospitality-driven culture. It's not like that in Ecuador. For them to invite you into their home, it means that you've become family to them. See, this was 2011, and this was supposed to be our last year there because our short-term missions policies, we go where our, our missionaries are, either our Harvest or Vision Church. This is where we go. And so um, because a year before we had started building a church across the river in Sinangue, our, our thing was let's make this our last year. We just want to worship and dedicate that building in Sinangue, and then we'll come back home and we'll look for other places to do ministry. Right? That was our plan. So we're, we're realizing we're beginning to build relationships because they're inviting us into their homes. They're telling us that we're, we're family. They're, they're feeding us all this stuff. One day we're in this town called Lumbaki, and there had been just no fruit in our ministry apart from um, that those 20 people who came to um, gave their lives to Christ. And the power had gone out in, in this one uh, throughout uh, the blocks that we were hanging out in. And so we just decided, let's just sing some songs. We were just worshiping the Lord there. And there's this one little boy who rode by on a bike. And he just sat there and he was watching us. Right? So it's eight of us just sitting there singing songs, 
and this kid comes. And so we're like, what the heck? You know, whether it's one person or, or 20 people or 100 people, let's just bust out our program. So for one kid, and we did all of our skits, the skits that we've been doing for 10 years now, we did the same <laughs> skits. Gave a, we didn't have any translators there. It was Yezhong and Lisa who had taken high school Spanish. That's it. And they're like, well, let's, let's, give, it a, let's give it a shot. And so we just began sharing the gospel and in broken Spanish, beginning to translate the message to him. And at the end, it's like, do you want to receive Jesus Christ? And he's like, see. Sí. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, see. Sí. So we prayed with him there. And he went back to his place. And, and, and that was the end of it. And, and as we were thinking and as we were debriefing, as we are praying, like the thought came to our mind, like, could it be that, you know, if this is really our last year, that God brought eight people thousands of miles and paid thousands of dollars for one soul? And would that be worth it to God? And I think it would have. What is the, what is the worth of one soul? In the eyes of God. Is it worth $10,000? You can't put a price tag on a, on a human soul. And so this image of this, this little boy named David uh, was seared into the conscience of the seven of us who were there. Isaac was sick in the, in the hotel, so he didn't get to be there. But it was seared in, in our soul. The Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday was our last day, and then we go up to Quito. And uh, most of you know this story, but some of us don't. So... Thursday morning, um, I asked our team, I said, hey, does anyone on our team, we have one last worship service in Cabano, does anyone want to share their testimony? And, you know, we're Asian, so nobody wants to do it. And, you know, at best, it's like, if nobody else does it, I'll do it. But no one's even saying that. Nobody wants to make eye contact because, you know, they don't, no one. But, but, but one guy, Josh, he's like, I'll share. No one, I'll share. I want to share my story. And I just remember thinking, you know, his story, um, there were moments, in his story, there were a lot of obstacles, right, to the life of Christ within him. And he would share often on every mission trip about feeling lonely, about feeling depressed. But, but something happened um, somewhere along the way, uh, going to tai- Taiwan, uh, Taiwan, his, his life just got, got, got flipped and changed. And he began having this, this newfound joy and, and freedom in, in loving the Lord God. And he was, you know, unbeknownst to all of us, we found out at his memorial service, he was sharing with people at, at, at UCF. He was encouraging other people. And he said, yeah, I'll share my story. You know, a lot of times we feel like my story, um, because of the obstacles, because of the hardship, um, that gives me reason to not share my story. But I think he was different. He said, it's because of the obstacles that give me a story worth sharing. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, we, we've said this here before, but... When we think, oh, man, there's so much pain and so much brokenness in my life, I can't possibly share my testimony with people. He's like, that's, that's exactly the thing that gives people a reason to listen to what we have to say. Because it's that brokenness that, that takes us from where we are in, in living for Christ to, and builds a bridge into the places where people are right now. Because most of, all of us are broken. All of us are hurting. All of us have issues. And when we share those things, it immediately connects the soul of a person with another person and gives people a walkway by which they can come to faith in Christ. And he understood that. Tico understood that. He wasn't afraid to share that story. And so we went, and, uh, and along the way, our plans changed so many times. And, and he, you know the story. He ended up not being able to share his testimony because that night he would end up passing away in a river, drowning in a river. 
And for, for many people, they would say that's where the story ends. All the people in, in Ecuador, it wasn't a single soul in Ecuador that I talked to who said, well, you guys need to come back now. Every one of them said, we, we, we completely understand why you would never want to come back here. Before we left, we wanted to have a worship service in Cabano, that very place, uh, the last place Tico was alive. And as we got there, some of the elderly ladies said, why would you come back here? And why would you want to come back to Cabano? The national leaders in Quito said to me, you know what? We're afraid that you guys will never come back and that Ecuador will forever have a bad image in the minds of your, uh, Korean Americans in, in the United States. People in America said, well, we need to stop going back to that place because it's too dangerous. There's too much heartbreak there. But when I asked our team members, I said, do you guys, seven remaining people, I said, do you guys want to go back? And every single one of them said, yeah, we need to go back. What would, it, what would it speak to the people if because we lost one of our members, we said as they're beginning to open up their homes, beginning to feel like family with us, if because we lost a person that we said, you know what, we're not going to come back here. What would be the effect of the, to the gospel in that area if that were, the, if that were our testimony? Yeah, we loved you guys when things were good, but when things are hard, adios, see you later. Right? In death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. We have confidence even in the face of death. To say the story is not over yet. The story is still being written. You know, the, the gospel moves forward. The kingdom of God moves forward on, on the backs of many ships. There's leadership, stewardship, discipleship, worship. But one of the, the fastest ways that the gospel goes forward is in the midst of hardship. And last year, so 2000, 2012 comes around. We have the biggest group ever, 20 people. right? 20 people. Because out of the ashes, people said, you know what, I want to go. I want to go because this is a story, right? There's a story that's still being written. I want to be part of that story. And so 20 people, this year's the biggest team ever, 23. I challenge, hopefully next year will be even bigger. There's so much work to be done. We need so many more people, so many more people to do the work of God. And if you, you can't, you can't begin to, pictures, videos can't even begin to ex, explain the experience of being down there and seeing what we saw. This year, there were several moments in, in our ministry where I just had to turn away because I was so moved to, to tears by, by seeing our team members at work and in action. And like James was sharing, and as the, the, the pictures were showing, and just watching like Chris and, and Haley and, and, and John and, and Monica do the thing that they were made to do, but do that on the mission field, right? free, of, free of cost, free of charge. I remember walking into, you saw that place in that little hut, and when the sun came out, that place was baking. It was so hot in there. But without complaints, man, they're just working, and they've got sweat dripping off of them, but they're just going at it. I, I remember, you know, some of these procedures were difficult. I, I walked in, and I said, has anyone cried yet? And so only one person cried, but it was when um, Chris and Haley were praying for this man before they pulled out his teeth or whatever they did. He's just weeping of gratitude that these people would come and they would pray in this way for me. And just seeing people at, at work, and it's, it's one thing when we do it here, but it's, an, it's a completely whole nother level when they do it down there. You know how hard James works. Everybody knows how hard he works, but when he's down there in the mission field, he's like three times, like triple size, like just going at it, like beastly. And everybody who's tired looks at him and they're like, you know what, I, I want to I do more work. He used to have a, an eyeglass store. I don't know if you guys knew that, but now he's using that eyeglass skills to, to, to give sight to people, right? There are people down there, the first, they don't, they don't even know that they could see. They don't even know that, they, that life could be better. And then they put on these glasses and, holy cow, I can see my fingers. I can see people now. I can see the face of my lover. And the first thing that they read 
is the plan of salvation, how they could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And nothing that we do is wasted. No business that you've had in the past is wasted. No class that you've taken is wasted. And then you've got, you've got many, many James, Isaac, Lee, who, you know, works hard here. But he's a boss down there, too, even more. Just constantly working, serving, helping other people out, encouraging them, giving a helping hand. Whenever we need something done, he's always like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And sing things like this. Sing guys like, like Joseph and sing our, our VBS team. There's a t- I, I just remember sitting, um, looking out in the corner and seeing Alex. And last year he was with a bunch of girls in El Chaco. But this time <laughs> he was just by himself, not just completely. Nobody saw. He was just sitting there with this one little boy blowing bubbles on the bleachers for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Just blowing bubbles in the kid in wonder. Oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Bubbles, right? That's it. All right. How loved do you think that kid felt? This guy would just sit here for 10 minutes and stinking blow bubbles. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And the, the stories that are at the end of uh, uh, 10 o'clock till 6 o'clock, just nonstop, going at it, tired. And then at the end of it all, after we, we had this worship service, like 8 o'clock, uh, Minza and Monica just dancing with these kids, running around with the rest of us are beat tired dead tired they're just running around laughing giggling and these kids are wanting more just a, a crazy stuff and so several times i saw in that in that in that one gymnasium i just saw the beauty of the church and i had to just turn away for a little bit because i just moved to tears that there's nothing like the church when it's doing its job properly we're ministering the gospel of jesus christ meeting needs of people so that their hearts could be open and, you know, there are times when, when, I, uh, when I get up to preach, I'm not really feeling the, this, this vibe on me, this sense of anointing. Or, but when I saw our team doing body worship and, and just singing, worthy is the lamb. Like God is, is worthy of everything that we have, whether we're feeling it or not, whether we, we, we want to do it or not, whether we think people are going to respond or not. And I remember just being moved to the, the deepest worship. That's why every time I had to preach, I said, let's, can we just, I don't care whatever, we, whatever else we do, but let's just have our body worshipers do it right before I get up to preach. Because that got my heart in such a place where I just, man, it's like, mm, worthy, lamb. And as we, we, we just proclaimed the gospel of Christ, and as James was sharing, we, we, as he said, we gave that, that invitation and seeing these people come up to give their lives to Christ. Just a, a beautiful picture. There was one guy a couple nights later, he's a farmer, and he said, you know, this, this is a small testimony, but he said he was farming and it started raining and it got dark and he couldn't see anything. And he said there was a snake right in his path. And he said, the only reason I saw this snake was because of the glasses that you guys gave me two days ago. And he just wanted to, to testify to that. There was a, we had a movie night in, in Lumbaki where we shared the gospel. And many people came forward to give their lives to Christ also. But we saw this kid from two years ago, David, come. He had never been to, to many of our stuff, but he came out and he brought his dad and he brought his brother this time. And they heard the gospel of Christ, maybe for the first time. I don't know how many times they've heard it. At that place, there was this one lady who said, can you, Pastor, can you pray for me? I'm feeling this, this stomach pain, and, and no doctor has been able to, to, to cure me of it. And so we said, all right, let's pray together. And I got a message on Facebook a couple of days ago. She said, I'm the chica that you prayed for in Limbaki. I feel so much better. My health is completely fine now. Glory to God. Glory to God. These are only the stories that I'm hearing. There are tons of other stories. There's one guy who's traveling with us from Quito. They don't, they don't have enough drivers, because, and the roads are insane there, so Pastor Albert had to drive. 
in these crazy streets of Quito. But this one guy came down with us. His name was, well, I'm not going to say his name, but he came down with us. His wife is in charge of, of the children's ministry at the church in Quito. And he was driving us around because he, he didn't have a job because he j- actually just got a new job, had quit his job and had a couple weeks off. And so he came down with us, driving us around. Just crazy. I mean, he slept like three hours sometimes and, and he would come. And when we got back to Quito, he said, me being with your team down here in the Amazon area. It just, it just completely renewed my faith and renewed a sense of conviction in my heart. I want to live for the Lord again. He had been kind of backsliding, and he had been watching his wife do ministry. He was always involved, but then he stopped serving in the church. He said, now I want to get back involved. And you saw him there in one of the songs. He was just lifting his hands, worshiping the Lord. He said, I want to give my life to Christ again. And then when you, I mean, when you see the video, I don't know, I haven't seen the video yet of that service in Cabana when people just came forward to, to give their lives to the Lord. There were people all around us who just crying, like people who, who knew the story of Joshua, who knew Tico's story, and they were just shedding tears. And as I was sitting there talking with, it's just, is this this sense of, in which you just look out and you know that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of, of any human beings. And we're just sitting there looking out Right in the midst of the, the chaos and people hugging and giving each other high fives, I just uh, w- was standing next to, uh, to, to uh, Joseph and, and Tico's dad. And this is the one thing that, that we, we said to each other. We said, you know what? None of this, none of this would have happened if it wasn't for Tico going home to be with the Lord. Because if it was just business as usual, that third year in 2011, we just go back to Quito, go back home, and that's it. There'd be a lot of people in Lumbaki whose lives have been flipped right side up who would otherwise be sleeping, facing an eternal hell. There are hundreds of people in Cabeno, in Sinangue. And Johnny said, you know what? I'll introduce you to some of them when we get to heaven. And who will be there And it, would have been, it wouldn't have been if it wasn't for the seeming end of our story. And we said this often, John 12, 24, Jesus said this, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. A lot of us thought the story, a lot of people thought the story was over. 2011. But it's more alive than it's ever been. You know, all of us are going to die. That's just the reality of life. All of us are going to die. But is your story one that's worth repeating? Is your story worth telling? The only reason Tico's story is worth telling, not because there was anything great about him, but because he was captured by the truer story. He was captivated by a story that made him go to the ends of the earth ten times, going in to, four times to, to Tampa, four times to DR, to Ecuador, to, to Taiwan, to tell the world about Jesus Christ. It says here, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Nobody endured the cross. Why? Because the cross was an instrument of death. 100% of people who went on the cross died on the cross. But when the story seemed over, says Jesus Christ rose again and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The only way our stories are going to be worth living and worth retelling after we're gone is if we hide our stories in the greater story of Jesus Christ. 
if that's the only story worth living for. If we're, the, if we're the hero of our story, if we're the biggest thing in our story, it's an awful small story to be telling. But when we lose ourselves in the pages of a story far greater than our own, and we say, you know what, it doesn't matter. In life, I will honor Christ. In death, my life will continue to honor him. That's a story worth telling. It's a story worth living for. A story worth repeating. And I want to challenge us, if we haven't gone on a mission trip for whatever reason, or we found reasons not to go, there's nothing like going and experiencing it. I pray that next year, 30 people, 40 people, 50 people, that we'd have problems transporting everybody. Because you say, I want to give my life to make him known. I don't want to give my life in order to testify to it. I want to give my life because the story is not over. In fact, everything up until 2011 was just a table of contents. We're living the story now, and it's going to continue on into eternity. That's a story worth living for. Let's live in that. Let's pray. I want to encourage us to, maybe some of us need to, to make some commitments here about how we want to live this upcoming year. And maybe some of us here, God may be speaking to our hearts. Hey, take a step out of your comfort zone here and make a commitment to go next year. I know you got to work. I know you got school. I know you got summer school. I know you got family. I know you got all these things. But, but maybe for some of us, God's legitimately calling us just to be a sender. And we can rest in that. But hey, if it's about your golf game, like John said, let's take a step of faith. If it's about your comforts, if it's about the bugs, about the humidity, let's take a step of faith. And as long as we stay in our place of comfort, we're not going to be able to see what God wants to show us. As long as we're we're just standing on firmly entrenched on the boat when Jesus tells us to come, we're not going to walk on water. We're not going to see the glory of God if all we're doing is we're okay just living life Status quo. And maybe God's calling you to go. Take that step of faith. And you'll hear stories from people like, like Haley. She took a step of faith this year. She's got some amazing testimonies. Other people in our lives, just testimonies of God's grace. But you don't see it. You don't see it unless you're holding on to Jesus. So many of us, man, we're holding on to ourselves. We're holding on to our hopes, our comfort, our dreams. And, and we won't see God that way. Right? Faith isn't faith until we take that step and it becomes trust in God rather than our own abilities, our own plans, our own wisdom. Let's make some commitments. Say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. That's it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to wait and see if I can go. I'm going to rearrange my schedule around this so that I can go. And I can see God at work and I can be part of this story. It's bigger than my own. I think some of us Right now, God's calling us to make a commitment and to say a year out, I'm going to make this decision because if I wait till then, I'm not going to do it. Maybe God's calling us to make a decision here, to go to the DR, to go to Ecuador, to go somewhere where the Lord will be calling you to go. Let's take a minute right now just to pray. That commitment to the Lord. Say, God, I want to go. I want to see. I want to see what you're doing in the world. 
I need more of you. I need more of you, God. I'm tired of living by sight and not by faith. Tired of holding on to other people rather than holding on to you. Tired of listening to voices of people who say I can't rather than the voice of the one who says I can. I'm tired of being the one clapping and cheering when everyone else is doing the work. I want to I want to get out and I want to do it. I want to see it. God help me. Just pray. Just make a prayer of commitment, a prayer of decision. That God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to follow. Follow you. Let's pray for a moment together. Pray. Prayer of commitment, of surrender, of dedication to the Lord God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we confess our need for you. Every one of us has a story of us trying to reach a goal, obstacles along the way. God, it's only when our story is wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in the story of Jesus that it becomes a story really worth living because that's when our story begins to outlive our lives. But we live not for a tombstone, but we live for a testimony. People testify to the lasting effect of our lives long after we're gone. We can leave many things behind, heirlooms, wills. But oh, to leave a testimony of a life surrendered, of a life well lived, a life well spent. A story worth repeating. God, that we would live in that. You would help us to live in that. Be with us as a congregation, that we would live out our calling, that we would live for the harvest, glorify you as continually Christ-centered leaders are equipped, raised up, sent out to transform the world. Would you do this for your glory? Would you do this for our spiritual growth and blessing? Would you do this for the sake of a world that you so love, that you gave and you gave and you gave? May we be the ones in your hands to be given to the world, broken and surrendered, that the world might come to know you. We thank you. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.